If you have your Bible with you, would you take it out and turn to Psalm 19, please? Uh, we just sang the second half of this psalm, uh, but we'll turn over to Psalm 19, and if you'd like to mark your spot there, that will be the text for our lesson this evening, the 19th Psalm. We're going to begin reading in verse 1 here in just a moment. C.S. Lewis, uh, the noted author and poet and uh, apologist for Christianity, called this the greatest of all of the psalms in his judgment. And he called it one of the greatest poems ever to be written in the history of mankind. And I don't think that's hyperbole. But it's not just a poem, of course. It's a song. It's intended to be sung. Uh, the book of Psalms is really a songbook. It's filled with the hymns that would have been sung by uh, the people of God in times past. And so when we think about Psalms chapter such, 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 and such, that's not technically accurate because these aren't chapters, they're just individual songs that we find in their songbook. And so it's the 19th Psalm uh, that is this song, this poem. D. Bowman entitled it, Music of the Majestic, uh, as he could turn a phrase. And this psalm starts with a super wide lens and it zooms from the, the widest possible picture of this physical universe. All of God's creation, all of the universe, and from there it zooms in. It zooms into our solar system with the sun. It zooms into our world, the earth. And then it zooms all the way into one individual trying to follow God and do what God would have him or her to do. It is a work of art about two of God's works of art. And I would say just as an aside related to this, that art and beauty is a powerful evidence for God. That's something that the evolutionist has a hard time trying to explain. How did we develop this appreciation for beauty and art and music and those sorts of things? There's no real great benefit to be found from a purely evolutionary standpoint. And how that happens, something that is really unique among the animal kingdom to human beings. Um, everywhere you look, everywhere you look, there is beauty. But the animals don't appreciate that. But we do, don't we? We have the ability to appreciate God's creation. So let's begin reading in verse 1, if you would, with me. We'll start by reading down through verse 6 and making a few comments. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament, the expanse of heaven shows his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race its rising is from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Here God declares himself through the creation. And this is something that is going on perpetually. These are imperfect verbs that are being used, and so it's continuous action. And he even says, says day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. Every day and every night... God is declared through the things that are made. Uh, I have a friend. Um, he's quite a bit younger than me, but we grew up going to camp together. Um, he has some siblings that are closer to my age. 
And, and I love it when I see people who have carved out a little niche, a little niche for themselves in life to do what it is that they love to do and make a living doing that. Um, he's a photographer. And, and I ran into him back in February in Florida. We were both visiting um, and we attended at the same congregation on Wednesday night. And he was visiting because that's all he does. He visits everywhere he goes because he doesn't actually have a home. He just travels year-round um, as a photographer. Uh, and uh, every year he makes a calendar, among other things, to fund some of the things that he does. He's freelance for, for other projects and so forth. Uh, but he sells these calendars every year. Uh, William Bean is his name. Um, I'm not trying to get you to buy anything, but that's my friend's name. And, and here's just, I just pulled these off of Instagram. Uh, these aren't even high-quality photos, but look at some of the photos that he's taken just in the last couple of years or so. Um, he's a very talented photographer. You see the expanse of heaven? Um, that's him right there, actually, on this long board. Uh, he set up a camera to take a picture of himself. That's pretty cool, isn't it? But what has he done in taking all of these beautiful photographs? Um, it's work of art. It's beautiful art. But all of our works or arts are just imitations of what God has already done. He has captured, to a certain degree, he has captured the beauty of God's creation. And, and we talk about this when we go on vacations to the Grand Canyon, or Niagara Falls, and we say a picture just doesn't do it justice. And that's the truth, isn't it? Because there are some things that a picture doesn't do it justice. We can't truly see it except with our own eyes. And every arc is an, every form of art is an imitation of what God has done. Even abstract art is based on colors, right? The mixing of colors. Well, God was the one who created color. God's creation is the universal language understood and appreciated by all cultures and all times. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. You hear God through the things that He's made. And in fact, in many of the ancient cultures, they worshipped the stars and the sun. They worshipped the creation. Uh, keeping your spot in Psalm 19, go to Acts chapter 14 if you would. Acts chapter 14. Paul and Barnabas are traveling in Asia Minor. And they come to Lystra. Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse 8. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul observed him, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand up straight on your feet. And he leaped and walked. Now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying in the Lyconian language, The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Uh, you know what the other translation of those are? You have the, the Greek names for the gods and you have the Roman names for the gods. Zeus and Hermes are also known by these names. Jupiter and Mercury. 
Um, they are represented in the stars, right? And, and many of the stars were associated with gods. Then the priests of Zeus, whose temple was found in their city, brought oxen and garlands to the gates, intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying and saying, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them. Who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. Nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. God did not leave even the pagan multitudes without witness of Himself, of His existence. And the creation is so great, great enough that the pagans worship the creation as gods. And if the creation is that great, how great must the genuine Creator be? Um... Nothing prepares you for being a parent, in my judgment. I mean, you can make preparations. You can try and be prepared as you can. And you get little glimpses at different points in your life. Um, my youngest boy cousin, uh, he uh, just graduated high school last year. That shows the difference in age. And I've got another cousin up in his 50s. So there's a big gap between all of us on my dad's side. I remember when uh, he was just a little bitty boy and, and I would have been a young man, uh, not a father yet. I remember he went through that stage where he was asking why all the time. And he, and he went through that stage on one of our family vacations where we were all traveling together. And Dylan is his name. Dylan was just asking why about everything. He'd see something, he'd say, well, why? Why is it that way? And we'd give him an answer. And he's like, why? And then 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 finally, you know the answer you have to give? Because God made it that way. That's, that's the uh, trump card to all of that. And that maybe prepared me a little bit for my own children. Didn't your children go through that stage in their life where they're just asking why about everything? Um, well, why did they ask all that? Because the world is an amazing place. Because he was innocent enough to have a sense of wonder. And maybe we need to recapture some of that. Recapture some of that curiosity. Recapture some of that wonder. Uh, we were driving home from Larry Bruce Gardens um, this afternoon and driving through, and I was th thinking about what I was going to be preaching tonight, and we're driving through these giant pine trees, uh, and we're driving and we see the sky up there, and we see the flowers on the side of the road, and it was funny to me as I got to thinking about it. I grew up in West Texas. Um, we certainly didn't have towering pine trees. Uh, and I remember when I first moved here how incredible it was, how amazing it was to drive through these forests of pine trees. In fact, I remembered when I first started going visiting. Uh, I lived up in Lindale when I first started preaching, and, and they have big trees up there as well. And I remember I was afraid that I was going to run into somebody on some of these country roads because I couldn't see far enough out, right? To me, that was incredible. That was amazing. And yet now it's kind of just become commonplace. But thinking about this lesson, I kind of looked at it with renewed eyes. It is incredible 
these trees and this sky and these flowers and these animals and all of the things that God has made. Maybe we need to open our eyes and look. Maybe we need to get our, our wow back that we walk through those doors. It's an incredible world out there that God has made. And if we can get a better glimpse of the creation, then we'll get a better glimpse of the Creator as well. I want you to imagine, maybe at some point this week, imagine, just walk outside, maybe in the afternoon, maybe in the evening, when you've got a little bit of time, I want you to walk outside and imagine, imagine you've spent your whole life in a room, indoors somewhere. Imagine that you're seeing all of this for the first time. What would that experience be like? What's this? What's this? How does it do that? Wouldn't we be filled with wonder and awe? And all of this should point us back to our God. Uh, look to Romans chapter 1, if you would. Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1 and verse 18. Again, it's the Apostle Paul, this time writing instead of speaking. But on a similar topic to what we read in Acts 14. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them and to them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. What is it that we can see from creation? Well, we see God's power, we see His greatness, and we see His Godhead. That some being far different from us is the one who must have made all of this. It shows the power of God. Even the sheer size of our universe shows God's power. Did you know if you started at our sun and traveled at the speed of light, which we can't get anything close to the speed of life as human beings, at least not yet, but imagine for a moment you, you could travel at the speed of light. It would take 100,000 light years traveling at the speed of light 100,000 light years to travel from our sun to the edge of the Milky Way galaxy, our local galaxy. It would take another 10 million light years to travel from our galaxy to the next galaxy. Scientists now see that the observable universe contains at least 200 billion large and medium-sized galaxies like ours, and about a hundred times as many dwarf galaxies smaller than ours. The stars in all of those galaxies add up to about 50 billion trillion stars. Those are numbers we can't understand. Uh, we can't comprehend as human beings. And all of those 50 billion trillion stars, if we were to pile them all up together, they comprise only 1% of the mass of the universe as we have thus far observed it. Our God is so big, and what He has created is so big. And yet Isaiah chapter 40 says He measures it all with a span. From His thumb to His little finger, 
oh, there's our little universe in which we live. Now, all of that, of course, is symbolic language because God is spirit, and this is a physical world. But we know that God in His power spoke it all into existence instantly. God simply spoke and it was done. On the first day when He created and said, let there be light, there was light. And on the second and third and fourth and fifth and sixth, when God spoke, those things came to be. But beyond the size, we talk about the size and power and majesty maybe pretty often. May I focus us again on the wonder of it all, the the majesty of it all, the beauty of it all. And if we doubt, we need to take a look around And not just see the vastness, see the amazing beauty of what it is God has created. Open our ears to hear the language that God is speaking to us in. It is a universal language. And it is one that we can and should understand. Because there is no excuse, Romans chapter 1 tells us, for us not to see God, see that there is a God and that He is great and that He is mighty and that He is powerful. God is an artist, and the universe is His canvas. But like all great works of art, it is open to all sorts of crazy and diverse interpretations, many of which were never intended by the original artist. What does God mean by the creation that He created? Well, God gets more specific to us. It's it's interesting to me that the word used for God in verse 1 is that general word of El or Elohim. It's the same word that was used uh, by the pagans for their gods in our Old Testament. So we think about gods or God, it's just this designation generally. Um, We can know God. We know that there is a God by the creation, but we don't really know Him. We don't know Him as He is. Even the non-believer must confess that the Bible's description of this world is accurate. If you read the Bible, this is the world that you would expect to find. A world that is beautiful and majestic and wonderful, but also one that is fallen. One that has sin in it. And because of that, there is pain and death and decay and all of those sorts of things. But because of the Word of God, it is not just that we know there is God, there is El. We can also know who that God is and what He expects for us. Pointedly, we find that one use of the generic word, the heavens declare the glory of God, El, in verses 1 through 6. In verses 7 through 14, seven times we see that word Yahweh. In your translation, it's probably Lord in all capitals. Seven times we see the personal name of God. It is not just that we know God, that there is a God, We know our God, and we can know Him personally through His Word. And though the Word of God is open to interpretation too, obviously, God makes it clear that there is an intended truth to the things that He says. Whether we get that truth or not is really beside the point. Truth is waiting to be found, and it is there. There is a right interpretation, if you want to put it in those terms. It is God's intended message. And we need to strive to understand it correctly. And we can. We can because of the beauty of not just what God has made in the creation, but the beauty of His Word as well. Let's keep reading, verses 7 through 11. You would with me? The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. 
The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Now it's easy for us to see the poetic pattern that is found in these verses. For each we have a title for the Word of God. His law, His testimony, the statutes of the Lord, the fear of the Lord, the judgments of the Lord. We also have a description of the Word of God. It is perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, and true. But we also have a result of what it can do for us in each of these triplets. And this is where I want us to focus the rest of our time this evening. What can this perfect, sure, right, pure, clean law or testimony or statute or fear or judgment of the Lord, what is it intended to do for us? Well, first, it is converting the soul. We're supposed to be converted. We're supposed to be changed in some way, fundamentally changed by the Word of God. We are born again, the New Testament tells us, born again of incorruptible seed that is the Word of God. Some translations even say it is reviving the soul. It is making us alive again. That's what happens at our conversion. We are resurrected. We're revived spiritually from being dead in our sins. Behold, all things have become new. Paul says in 1 Corinthians. Uh, have you ever heard those stories where somebody has a near-death experience and it, and it changes when they survive? It changes the way they look at the world. They have a fresh perspective and, and uh, you know, they want to be with their family more and they want to do more good in the world and those sorts of things. And that's, that's all well and good, I suppose. But what about for us who were dead and then revived. It was not a near-death experience. It was a death experience. Dead in our trespasses and sins. And God made us alive again in Christ. And if I were to die and be revived, come back to life, then I think I would live with greater purpose and urgency, greater appreciation and gratitude for what I have in life. But what I want to suggest to you tonight is that's exactly what happened when you became a Christian. You were dead and you revived. Your soul was converted. Converting the soul, but also making wise the simple, he says in the second half of verse 7. The Word of God promotes understanding. We see truths that we could not have seen otherwise. The simple is sometimes associated with the youth, the one who is naive, especially in the book of Proverbs, but also in the book of Psalms. And then sometimes it has an even more negative slant. It's associated with the fool. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I have felt simple. I've felt naive, lacking wisdom on what it is that I'm supposed to do or should do in a given situation. What in the world is the best course of action? I've thought to myself. Yes, I think to myself in just that way. What in the world is the best course of action? The answer? Well, what's the answer? You don't even know what the situation is. What's the answer? Just do what God says. That's the answer. If God has spoken to the issue, do what He says, His will. 
and let the chips fall where they may. And if he hasn't specifically spoken to the issue, pray to God and ask that his will be done. And then seek as best you can to do that will. That's wisdom. And God's word can make wise the simple. Uh, we think about God's Word, the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Here is the path to true joy. Here is the burden lifted. Here is comfort and rejoicing. And while under the con, uh, condemnation of sin, there is pain, there is spiritual pain, emotional pain, but in following God's statutes, there is rejoicing, there is joy. Uh, enlightening the eyes is what the commandments of the Lord do. And there are a couple of options here. The heart and eyes are often used interchangeably in God's Word. And if that's what is the case here, it's the eyes of our hearts, the eyes of our understanding that are being enlightened. I'm able to see spiritually because of the Word of God. But there is a, another connection that I only made because of the Bible readings that we were doing this week. In preparing for this lesson out of Psalm 19 and reading out of 1 Samuel. I want you to turn to 1 Samuel 14, if you would. 1 Samuel 14. Again, marking your spot in Psalm 19. We sang the chorus several times. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Remember Saul made that rash oath. Nobody's supposed to eat anything, but Jonathan had not heard of it. And in 1 Samuel 14 and verse 27, read this with me if you would. But Jonathan had not heard his father charge the people with the oath. Therefore he stretched out the end of his rod that was in his hand and dipped it in a honeycomb. And he put his hand to his mouth and his eyes brightened. His eyes were enlightened. And so it was not the idea that he was given knowledge, although uh, we can apply that to the Word of God. Our eyes are enlightened because we see more clearly, we have knowledge Perhaps the idea is God's Word sustains us. What was it that Jesus said? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Maybe part of the idea here, if we compare it to what um, Jonathan did, his eyes brightened because he gained energy. The energy that he needed to do what it is he needed to do. He'd been starving before, but now he had a little energy. His eyes brightened up, and now I can do what it is I'm called to do. And maybe that's what God's Word can provide for us, too. Sometimes we get down. Sometimes we get discouraged. Sometimes we don't have the motivation that we should. And yet God's Word can provide that motivation for us. It can provide exactly what we need. It is pure, like pure honey in the honeycomb. And it can brighten up our life and our countenance and our eyes to do what God has called us to do. And then it seems as though perhaps that it changes slightly in verse 9. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. It almost, it's almost as if he switches now from what it does for us to a further description of the Word. But doesn't that also describe us when we are converted by this Word? That we also endure forever if we fear the Lord and we gain the knowledge that comes from that, from His Word, then we can endure forever because we follow the will of God. Uh, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 17 says, The world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God 
abides forever. This is the way that we have hope beyond this physical life that will soon come to an end. We can endure forever with God if we follow after the fear of the Lord, if we follow after His Word. The judgments of the Lord are true, righteous altogether. We, we too should be righteous altogether. Only in Christ and submission to His will is righteousness found. And uh, was that just last week, Harold, that you preached, or two weeks ago that you preached on righteousness? Go back and listen to that sermon if you want to see what that righteousness is. Right wiseness, the previous spelling, right? We are made wise so that we can know and we can do what is right. We are righteous altogether because we see and appreciate God's Word. And so we see what, how God has communicated in the creation, how He's communicated specifically through His words so that we might know Him, know Him as Yahweh, not just as El, as God. And then the psalmist ends with an invitation, as all good preachers do. Verses 12 through 14. Who can understand his errors? We talked about that this morning. Who can see his own faults? Cleanse me from secret faults, the psalmist asks of God. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Not just the sins that I commit that I don't know about, that I don't see, but also the ones I know that it's wrong, but I do it anyway, and I'm presumptuous about it. Either way, keep me from those things, he says to God. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless. That word blameless there is the same word that is used in verse 7 when he introduces the law of God. The law of the Lord is perfect, In Hebrew, that's that same word for blameless. We can be made like God's Word. We can be blameless. And we can endure forever. And I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth, the things that I say, and the meditation of my heart, the things that I think, be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. He covers all the bases there. The things that we think about, the things that we say, and the things that we do. God has communicated to us so that we might know what to think about, that we might know what to say and not say, and that we might know through His power what to do. The God of creation and the God of revelation are one and the same. And this God, as great and wonderful and beautiful as He is, He has expectations. Expectations for you and expectations for me. If you're here this evening and you've heard the Word of God, allow it to work on your heart. It can change your life for the better. If you will allow God to work in the way that He has chosen, in the means that He has chosen. He sent Christ to die on a cross so that you might be forgiven. And He makes you aware of that by preserving these things of His very will and His very nature. And if you know that you need to become a Christian even tonight, you need to put Christ on in baptism, won't you come now while together we stand and while we sing. There's a fountain.